But no, look, thanks for coming on. It's it's really good to yeah, yeah to have a chat. Um, I suppose look for anybody you're listening who doesn't know much about Venue Scanner or yourself, can you just give us a bit of an idea of you know who you are and you know what you're what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, yeah, sure. So um I'm Rebecca um and I started Venue Scanner around six years ago. Um and it's a marketplace booking platform for meeting and event spaces. Okay. And what were you if you take us right back to the beginning, what were you doing before Venue Scanner? I, I looked obviously I did some research into you and your sort of LinkedIn profile and stuff but it'll be helpful to get a bit of an idea yeah yeah so I um so I was working at uh, M&S at the time that yeah. uh, started Venue Scanner so um I worked with my co-founder there and that's where we we met and uh I looked after digital marketing for women's wear at that time and um so we were often doing lots of events we do like fashion shows and cri- the Christmas party off-site meetings etc um and I was like that's a super keen grad at the time where I was like oh yeah I'll, I'll organize yeah, everything yeah. <laughs> um and so had the personal experience of um it being very very difficult to to find and uh book space um and we thought like oh how is there like a booking.com open table you know sky scanner you can book anything um just through searching online but um but not for venues so that's sort of where it all um where it all started oh nice and was it is it your idea initially or did you come across the sort of gap in the market or was it your co-founder how did it how did it work yeah we were i think we were we were sort of talking about it together like the problem statement and then um we went around and like researched like dotting around different like conference centers and we were like oh what meetings and events are going on in those places and like is there actually a gap and um yeah so just sort of started the research like pretty early and yeah we did all of that like beginning journey together and do you reckon you always had a a plan to do your own business when you first started MS or were you quite happy in the kind of corporate world yeah I, th- I definitely always wanted originally to do a to do something myself but hadn't I wasn't sort of in M&S like, oh, what's the thing? What's the, what's the thing going to be? Um, it just sort of happened like relatively orga- organically. And um, so that that point in time, uh, I wasn't like looking looking for to start something, but o- always had wanted to start something from kind of when I was young. Yeah. OK. And what did you say was the sort of first step you took then when you uh, first had the idea for, for Venue Scanner? Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think what the first I think the first thing was trying to understand the market and see like what what how it worked and what existed um and then like very quickly we created this super budget pitch deck which looked like terrible um and i remember (laughs) like we just printed it on like terrible paper and i took it to before that i worked in asset management um before mns um for a year and um had a great boss who was who was there and i emailed him was like oh i'm thinking about doing this business and um he was like oh why don't you come and pitch it to us um, and I was okay. like, oh, okay, we'll do that. And we didn't have anything, right? We just had these 10 like right. terrible slides and yeah. these really budget business cards. So like found a logo and I think I found the name quite early. So I was like, oh, yeah. what, like Skyscanner, Venue Scanner, sort of like that we stole from them really. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Borrowed. Borrowed, <laughs> borrowed, yeah. <laughs> um, and yeah, went went and pitched uh, him and like he'd got a bunch of kind of private equity uh, friends in the room okay, as well and yeah. just was super helpful in giving us that experience to do that yeah, yeah. Um, it's a nice contact to have from, yeah from the get-go isn't it to be honest <laughs> yeah yeah so that was uh that was a sort of practice run and um and then from there we started to uh like look at kind of designing out the the, the platform and okay. um and worked with a, a designer at uh, along alongside our jobs and um so just did kind of evenings and weekends like creating designs and then moving to building the site and stuff and so your, your co-founder benji he's the more technical side right so he does the more sort of coding side of it how long did it take for him to kind of flesh out the initial kind of mvp like the minimum viable product um it probably took i, I reckon we did like a couple of months on designs working with a designer um, and then we actually found somebody in Poland called Radek, who was the first um, person who was uh, working on the on the site. And I think we probably did maybe it was four, four or five months, something like that, which was quite a while. And mm. actually now there's much better um, software available where you can just like without yeah. code right. um, put a website up. So if I did it again now, I definitely wouldn't like jump into the coding right. side as as 
like deeply as we yeah, do. Yeah. Sure. Because yeah. I, I think that's a big fear a lot of people have with, when it comes to a company that's not just, a, you know, if it's a portfolio website, like a, a wedding planning business, it's just a case of getting a website up and then people contact you. Right. But with something where things like booking and things like that are involved, it feels like it's much more technical. So it seems like there would be a higher barrier to entry for that. Yeah, totally. I think and the technical side of it is is super important. Mm. Um, however, at the very early stages when really you're just trying to test, like, is there is a product market fit? Like, do people want this? And most importantly, also, will people pay for it? So yeah. I think that's something that we were like a bit sl- slow on. It took mm. us a while to figure out like how we would monetize it and like, how that would work and sort of went down a few different avenues. Sure. Um, whereas, yeah, I think you can probably find out if people will pay for something or if the idea starts to land before going like super deep on the, yeah. um, on the build. That was going to be one of my questions, actually, because you kind of jumped straight in to say that you went for, for funding. What was the, the sort of gap between having the idea and, and then going straight for funding? Did you, as I say, assess the market to see if there was actually a demand for the product or sort of how did it, how did that sort of fit together? Yeah, we didn't get, we didn't do the funding straight away. That was more of a, a force to get us to put together like what the business would actually look like. Okay. Um, although, I, although we did sort of then go back for, to do some angel funding um, uh, later on, but we, we built, uh, we did probably the first six months or so um, and sort of validated that, um, that there was a gap in the market and that we, we were going to do it. And then, um, raise funding just as no one would give us funding whilst we were still in full-time jobs really okay <laughs> so, you see that on dragon's yeah. den a lot of the time actually that's a big thing that they say i don't want to invest if you're not going to go full-time into this business yeah yeah, yeah. Which on the one hand makes sense but on the it other hand it's like sense, yeah. well i'm not going to jump into it if i don't have oh, yeah exactly it's, yeah exactly it. yeah yeah yeah, so we um yeah, so I I quit. I actually then went to work at Naked Majestic Wine and yep. um and quit there after we'd we'd probably been working on the business sort of on the side, like hustling it for about a year. Right. Um and and then left there and then we did a kind of small um angel angel investment round. Okay. Um, so before that, that was it self funded up until that point? Yeah, yeah, we just did it ourselves. Got you. And how much startup capital did you have at the beginning? What were you sort of playing with? Um I think roughly 20 grand maybe. And was that sort of pulled just from the two of you or was there loans or? Yeah, yeah. We just sort of used savings and. Self-funded. Nice. Um, And how did you validate the kind of product demand, if you say, uh, initially? Um, How did we validate the product demand? So we we used um, Google search as a kind of a key route route to market so we we said quite early on we were like right people will be searching to find venues and we want okay. to make sure that we nail the like um search engine optimization side of the business um so we ran like ads on, on on google to bid for so let's say like venue hire london would be like a key term okay so we'd say okay right are, are there people searching for that how many people are searching on a monthly basis and like how much does it cost us to acquire that those customers um and and we could just do those with like a basic ad that went to a yeah. blog or something like that yeah. like it didn't didn't need it was just a test set. traction right that was basically yeah exactly so that was the kind of first thing that we did to figure out if there was demand and how we how we would get customers okay interesting um and so once you figured that there was a, a sort of fit if you like for your for your product um what what did you put together initially before you went out to, to funding what were the sort of steps after that uh so we had um we had the probably like 40% of the website, let's say. Um, so we had the homepage and you could kind of search and see venues. Um, and the, the big thing that happened quite early on that really helped us to get the funding is that we, we put this little um, like chat on the on the site. I think it costs like five pounds a month or, or right. something. Um, is that a chat bot? Or is yeah, it? I think it was called Talk To. Um, okay. And uh, so people could come and chat on the site. And then we had uh, we sat on the other side of it um, and somebody from Regis came onto the chat okay. um, very early and and was like oh you know would would love to know if we can list on your site um, and myself and we had a guy called Pavel um, who in um, Poland who um, helped on the data and the, and the coding mm-hmm. and we sat there and we were like oh he was like Becky it's Regis so I was like Oh fuck! Yeah. <laughs> We've cracked it. We're officially millionaires. Yeah. Yeah. And they were like, "Yeah, we would like to list all uh, thousand of our spaces." Wow! And we were like, "Wow!" Um, so we were like, "Yes, of course." Um, and they were like, "How do we list?" We were like, 
just send us the information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so we got this big spreadsheet of all of Regis's data and okay. we kind of created all the profiles, like just ourselves um, for them. And then that was, um, yeah, and then we when we went, we were like, oh, we can put that then on the, invest- on the investment thing. Yeah, so sure. Like, oh, we partnered yeah. with, you know, Regis, Regis. one of the things. And that helped to kind of um, accelerate listing other yeah. kind of meeting yeah. and workplace providers and then um similar type a similar type thing happened in in the other markets like pubs and right. restaurants and stuff so you mentioned that for the first year that was sort of only 40 percent operational when did you have your actual first venue hire sort of your first trade through the through the website mm, uh pre or post funding it was mm, post think it was just post funding there were people using it but then the booking flow we had i remember exactly where we were we were actually at at one of google's offices like down in the basement flex (laughs) (laughs) love that i think i think i was uh hanging with google i think that's great they had a really good free workspace that everyone uses when they're just starting out because you don't have to pay for it um and so it's like this underground basement and everyone sat like you know on top of each other basically um yeah, and somebody somebody came and booked a, a five day massage was like the first ever booking, which was pretty random, like workshops. Interesting. Um, okay. So yeah, that was our that was our password login for the Wi Fi for the first <laughs> yeah. year, which really? was questionable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> Amazing. Fair enough. Um and so that kind of first booking then, I mean, I suppose kind of moving moving forwards, what how did you sort of scale it? I mean, you're sort of sat in the basement of Google's offices and you've obviously got you've obviously got traction with Regis initially, but then how did you actually go to acquire more companies and more venues? Yeah, so we had we built um we built this sort of um data tool um uh, early on where we could like find information about kind of venues and then um email and invite them to list on the platform. Um so that was the main way that we kind of got most of our supply to 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 join um so we had a sort of email sequence that said like hey this is who we are would you like to list um and we 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 ran a sort of it's a year totally free so no commission no listing fees like nothing and so we said let's do that for a year to just build up the 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 venues listed and then once we start getting like bookings and traction coming through um then we'll kind of start start charging after that so um that mechanic of kind of offering it totally free and then doing it via sort of lots of emailing mm. was was the way that we um initially got got lots of um venues live just on that what kind of conversion rate were you seeing like reaching out to venues Because as you said you're offering it free which is a pretty lucrative thing and mm. it's it's sort of it's only benefit to them because they get more eyes on them um yeah what sort of conversion rate were you looking at was it like most people kind of said yes or only you know was it a hard to hard to get people on board it was still it was still hard it wasn't not everyone w- would would say yes um and of course you've got all of the like general issues of people not receiving the email or right. um just not responding so i think um from from memory we we had sort of 60,000 data points um and we got 10,000 venues listed in that first year and that was pre pre-funding um so that was the kind of ratio of like the, the market that we were going for and then mm. the the number that we got live and and i think mm-hmm. at, at the time it was difficult to find any site that had more than 100 on or something like that so mm. um we the the thing that helped us to get funding and the proof point was like okay we can get lots of venues to list on the platform and sure. we can and we want to build you know the biggest platform in the world for for this mm. this space so was it hard to pitch before the website had fully launched and before you got funding and before you'd actually done any transactions on it was it harder to get people on board saying we're gonna have this website where people are gonna book but we don't have any sort of because as we said earlier the, you know the first guests for us for example were the hardest was it harder at the beginning to go to a you know venue and say hey we want to list your venue on our site that has no traction no users and we haven't actually done any bookings yet yeah it was um it was a little bit difficult <laughs> um but also the market um was quite th- th- there wasn't much there and people wanted more mm. um more bookings so uh, people were actually pretty open to sort of testing and we're like yeah okay we'll give it a go like it's not costing us anything and right. you know it's free marketing effectively for for the venues so we didn't get it wasn't like super super difficult but we we had to um we had to do a lot of iteration on you know the email campaigns and how we were like what making sure that we had the right 
information and um and we did a lot of calling i um my sales team now absolutely hate me for saying this because i would you know be in a full-time job and in my lunch break in the hour i would go and call um like 50 venues in, a, in an hour wow. uh, and now they're, they're, they're like we you can't do more than 50 in a day i'm like guys lunch hour 50. yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um so we did do a lot of um yeah a lot of like yeah. sort of like fast calling and really trying to um like hustle to like get yeah. those, the venues live but everyone was was pretty open to it and we um you know, we've we've got great relationships with lots of venues that were our, you know, within the first hundred to mm. to join the now sort of six years later. So yeah, and, and the, yeah, no, go on. I was just gonna say in that first twelve months, and was it just you and your co-founder, or did you have a did you build a sales team at that point to try and get venues on board? Or we didn't have a sales team for a long time. Actually, we just um, we had a um, just an engineer and um, a data manager um, okay. who were both based in Poland. We 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 found. Um, we started recruiting just via kind of Upwork and mm. um, there was a few other, a start, I think it was like startup CVs or startup jobs. There was a few startup job websites. So we use those to um, to hire um, Ruddick and Pavel and then um, all of the rest of it we did ourselves and then um, kind of brought on some interns in the, as first roles in, in London. Okay. And so what would you say was the turning point then for the business? Um, when did you really start to see the traction kind of go through the roof? Mm. So I think there, were, there was kind of two two turning points. One was, um, so when we first built the site, we actually um, did something totally wrong from a Google search engine perspective, which we look back now, people say like, what's the, the biggest mistake? And this was definitely one of the mm. biggest mistakes that we made. So we like built the whole site in a, um, a language that Google doesn't actually read. Right. Okay. <laughs> good. Um, and so we were like, God, why are we not getting good ranking in SEO? Yeah. Like this is the only thing that matters yeah. to the business. Um, and um, so we had to rebuild a lot of that to, yeah, of to get that search. Oh traction God. and then once we did do the rebuild just out of interest at what point did you realize that you'd written it in the wrong yeah language? oh it was a good <laughs> four months in oh wow oh, okay oh, four months of work okay, yeah that's yeah right. what well, kind of well i suppose linking to that in the first year before you had actually sort of gone properly live was there any point where you sort of it hasn't launched obviously and you're thinking we're getting all these venues but like I don't actually know if this is going to work. Was there like a low moment? Oh yeah, many. <laughs> okay, many. Good. I mean, those moments went on for a good eighteen months. Yeah, uh, yeah. There was a, there was definitely a sort of like just praying a lot of the time and just doing everything we could to to figure out when we would you know get that kind of traction on both sides. And and actually, you know, when you're building a marketplace, you need you 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 can't be too out of sync on mm. the two sides of it because you can only keep the you know supply side or the demand side which are wherever mm. you go first you can only keep one side engaged for yeah. so long before um before it drops off so um we did a uh, yeah that was um that was pretty nerve-wracking but then once we cracked the seo piece we, we worked very very hard on that um that seo side like doing a lot of content writing and um and i'm really making sure that we uh that we that we evolved the site so that it was um good for good for search um and that then quite quickly once we sorted out that that issue um that sort of then started like rolling really fast and we right. we got to number one pr pretty quickly on like lots of the key search terms and um and and that was when that was probably that was probably about 18 18 months from okay. kind of very beginning yeah. starting um and then it took us about 12 months after that to really crack the kind of how we would um you know how we were generating revenue and how right. the business was kind of properly growing and building the team out and that sort of thing so mm. yeah you mentioned um earlier that obviously your background is uh is you worked in mns in digital marketing um which is funny because my mum actually worked in mns too she worked in home um and it's great yeah um and uh i got a lot of clothes when i was younger you know like i couldn't get clothes anywhere else it was like we have to get them from mns because that's where the dis that's where we get the discount um but in but marketing obviously is marketing sort of more more my area and i'm fascinated to know what you think um as a business that's not necessarily sort of people and content driven it's more business driven in terms of hiring what have you found has been the kind of key difference between the initial kind of ppc seo kind of era when it comes to marketing to now moving towards a more kind of content driven social media marketing landscape yeah so we 
we were very laser focused at the beginning on the on the on the search the search side we did um we did a bit of testing on social media and a little bit of um email of course as well but um now yeah we've we continue to google search continues to be like our core our core channel but we do a lot more now on yeah tiktok and right. um more more social more content um we've actually been i'd say like as a business we've actually done relatively little marketing in the later days which is funny because they always say my you know as as you mentioned my background's marketing and they always say that the the business's weakness is the founder's strength which is sort of you you don't hire around or you actually don't end up spending as much time on right on that area so we've um now now we're actually this year looking at how we sort of actually grow more of our top line marketing and do more brand and social mm. and um and that building side because we've always been very very focused on the kind of search pay-per-click and very um but you know when you've got limited money and you're and you're trying to be like very um yeah very careful on where you're where you're spending it and mm. what you're doing with it um that the more marketing channels you're opening up and the more that you're kind of looking at the more you know it's expensive it it, it becomes and um so so i did actually find that that finding one thing that worked and really focusing on optimizing that before mm. moving to like the next kind of channel um was was quite an effective way of us like building up um building up yeah track. sure yeah i think that's a mistake i think probably a lot of businesses make which is they sort of they hear a lot of you know we need to be everywhere we need to be you know oh tiktok's and, okay we gotta be on tiktok and it's oh we've got to be on it's like you actually don't like you know there was a period where everyone was like oh linkedin is the thing you have you know you can posting on linkedin it's like if linkedin doesn't suit your business model or if tiktok doesn't suit your business model don't post on tiktok or linkedin you're better doubling down on instagram or youtube or ppc or whatever it is i think yeah specializing is definitely the way to go yeah absolutely and it's all about where your customers are as well right so yeah. we yeah very early on we we sort of had like lots of our, our big customer group was personal assistants exec assistants marketing yeah. managers um within companies who are looking to book to to book spaces and some, some something that we found was great was there was lots of communities of um like personal assistants and and exec assistants and those were actually a great place for us to then kind of partner with and do marketing via so mm. we did a bit of events and um we'd kind of uh, do like media on their sites and do some white label partnerships and things and um that that was that was great because it was a like, very specific customer segment like we know you know we know who you're talking who we're talking to and mm. um and it was sort of sort of narrow so yeah cu the customer combined with something that worked for the for business model mm. and are you still at the point where you're getting pushback from new clients in terms of why they might not want to be on the site uh, yeah, so the market has become much, much busier, much more crowded now. Um, there's, uh, yeah, we've there's there's kind of plenty of um, people who play in it and venues post pandemic and also post Brexit. There was a lot of change um, in the in the hospitality space where actually venues are, are super um, like resource constrained. It's very hard to to hire people in hospitality mm -hmm. now. So mm -hmm. actually managing lots of inbound business becomes quite difficult for venues. So um, now they are sort of narrowing down, I guess, like where they get their customers from um, and that, that just working with a smaller number of like effective effective channels so we've definitely seen that that change a lot in the market whereas when we first started everyone was like oh my gosh online marketing and a place where i can get more more business from like this is amazing um because it just it was just very new at, at that point in time so um yeah it's been pretty interesting to see how that's how that's evolved but mm. we, we've we've got sort of roughly thirty thousand spaces listed in the in the okay. uk now yeah um and wow. get that's coverage wise we're, we're more focused now on like what are the tiny areas or you know sub areas where we might want a very specific type of more venues or um yeah just much more around kind of curation and, and experience um versus uh trying to acquire lots and when, when we look at new market expansion hopefully later this year in mm. in new countries then we'll be back at the beginning again of or how do we get people to sign up from scratch yeah yeah, yeah, yeah sure in terms of um, your your audience and the type of people that hire venues in your platform, what would you say is a sort of percentage kind of ratio between people who hire it kind of regularly and sort of repeat business and then sort of one off, you know, it's my mum's 40th and things like that? Yeah, so it's at roughly 70% now of um, 
of the the bookers would be for business events so right. meetings conferences christmas parties summer parties sort of team off sites um which has been a massive growing thing mm. again since since covid that we're doing lots more in um and then yeah 30 percent would be birthday parties right. weddings engagements um the the consumer side and then the repeat the repeat becomes much uh much more frequent in the corporate in the corporate side of the business so lots of businesses that we work with will do kind of eight events a year or um lots of lots of events a, a year and then some people will just do kind of one or two so it varies i'm with you mm -hmm. um and just going back to the competition piece you mentioned do you ever worry that it's a sort of um a kind of a, a ride to the bottom in a way of sort of undercutting with the competition because there's a limited amount that each company can offer in this space correct me if i'm wrong but i would assume that uh the best way to sort of compete is to just have a lower price in this sort of area i don't know if you would agree or not but i mean how have you found that yeah totally i mean at the beginning we we did actually um so after we did the free offer which was yeah. obviously full <laughs> undercut yeah. um then we decided to put the commission rates lower a kind of 20% lower than anyone else in the market okay. to make ourselves very competitive then. Yeah. And what we did find was then some other people that played in the market but brought theirs down as well. Yeah. So there was a bit of a like push down. And then of course there's a point in time when you realize that you can't um sustain. <laughs> yeah. sustain you can't, right? It's exactly yeah. what it's the Uber model. It's <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Uber yeah. Did. Yeah. 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 Um so so everyone sort of um I guess we've met back up at a Okay. you know just below yeah. just below market standard but still um you know significantly less than um less than kind of more more traditional um players in the market and how are you setting yourself aside then from the competition um so we we have um we have a like a few different approaches um that have become very kind of unique to us uh, over the time uh, at the beginning and still now is um very much around like the, the digital experience so um how people can like you know improving the platform and making the website really user friendly for people to be able to kind of search and um the second point was around um like the then it's like interaction experience with with the venues so um we've done a lot of work you know over the later side of okay well how do we like prioritize in search venues that respond fast to customers and you know venues that give have high ratings and that sort of thing so um that kind of evolution of like matching and good experience um mm. is is something that we've um we we we've kind of focused on being the best at and then also having the most supply so we've generally always been the the place where you can kind of find anything for any event type whereas a lot of other um parts of the market will be like quite vertically led so you'll, you'll you could go to a site to like find a wedding venue or right. find a meeting yeah. space or yeah. for each vertical whereas um we've always wanted to be the place you know the sort of household name or the place that you can come to to find anything any venue for mm. any event and really kind of aggregate all of the supply and, and create that like comparison experience totally um sort of taken from booking.com or yeah yeah um, I'm curious to know, um, I suppose this is more of a, more on the personal front, but still related to the business. What's your view on um, things like work-life balance versus hustle culture and things like that? Are you sort of a wake up at 5 a.m., work 18 hours a day kind of person? Are you very big on, I need to have my days off to, to cover and things like that? What's your kind of approach to that? Yeah, it's definitely changed over over time. At the yeah. beginning, I was, um, and for, yeah, for a long time, very much kind of 18-hour days and, um and seven days a week and really like it was a lot of a lot of uh a lot of work in the in the first kind of three four um four years I think that is something I def definitely haven't ma haven't have tried to not pass on to the rest of the team so mm. like as a culture in a within the business we've I've always been like relatively firm about like work-life balance and people not working on weekends and not working in evenings and we've always had a sort of eight till six or seven and sometimes when we're in periods of things go on fire which unfortunately has yeah. happened more often than, yeah, it does than happen. not, not then we are working like late and, and uh, um weekends sometimes but um I, i've i had like a number of different sort of you know close to burnout challenges and things like that throughout mm. throughout the journey so now um, over the last kind of couple of years have have been much more focused on ensuring like always have a at least one day off at, at the weekend like mm. much more often two now and um taking t the downtime and being able to like be sort of fresh and um and focused versus like 
um crazy hours mm-hmm. because yeah i think as the business evolves and um you know as a as the team's got bigger and things like my job and the things that are important um for me to do in the business do require you know having a clear mind and mm. you know, making good decisions and things like that that actually when you are totally burnt out and not slept properly yeah um, you end up being counterproductive mm. totally with that knowledge then in hindsight if you were starting the business again tomorrow would you still have done it the way you did it or would you do it differently now because there is an element or an argument i guess you could say of like in the beginning time you almost need to go through the whole burnout overworked thing to get it off the ground because there's so much to do yeah, I probably wouldn't, I would do it differently in that I, I would probably not push it quite as hard as, mm. as I did from a, from a kind of hours and like health sacrifice and that sort of thing perspective. However, I think the, I think the thing around the early stages that is, you, there is so much to do and you are like, you know, your, your passion, your soul, like everything is in that business, mm. right? So, so you are spending a lot of time on it. Um, but I think the m- much more important thing that I would, that I do a lot now that I would bring in earlier is much more around like discipline and exercise and sleep and things like that. So over time I've learned around like the importance of like getting seven hours sleep and the importance Mm. of, you know, doing exit for me, I've got to do exercise like almost every day, 45 minutes, um, like in the morning and that will like I'll be set for the day after doing that. Whereas Mm. in the early days, I'd definitely be like, I can't, I've got, I've got to, this thing's on fire. Wake up, back, sleep. Yeah. Yeah, Whereas I think actually just having discipline around the, the times in which you're working and the things in which you're doing around work that enable you to work better. So it's still, Mm. you're Mm. still very much like focused on what you're doing, but making sure that you're kind of looking after, um, yeah, the the core parts of like health and productivity that uh, enable to do that. And what do you think was was driving you to work 18 hours a day when you, when you first started? Um, I mean, there's definitely a passion point in there. Just that, like, okay. Yeah, yeah. Like How do that. you know you've got a passion for it, though? Um, I just feel it, I think. Okay. It's, you know, it's it's not, there was never a, a point where I was like, oh, God, I'm up really late working. Mm. You know, I'm doing it because yeah. I, I wanted to do it. Um, and there's always something to do. I mean, when you're starting a company, there's just, like, there is always a million things that you could, yeah. you could be doing. Um, so it's it's uh yeah i think just and also you've got such strong belief in you know you really want to make it work and you want it to be successful and um so that i think that that drives a lot of the like oh if i just like do a bit more or like and deadlines as well like trying to get things done by a certain time like fundraising and w- once you've raised money like that then every, you're on a time machine for everything because you've got x amount of time until yeah. that money runs out yeah. and you've mm. got to prove all these things and you know you've got to get the business from here to here so once you start that cycle everything becomes yeah very sort of like deadline and time ticking based um and then obviously when you get them at the moments when you're sort of running out of money and all that sort of thing that's generally you're not sleeping yeah. you're just so stressed yeah 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 that'll that'll make you lose sleep um i was gonna ask so in terms of passion um and this is sort of a preliminary question to my main question but when you, you said you're working in asset management originally uh first of all what made you switch from asset management to marketing because that's quite a different industry change mm. um and second of all were you passionate about either asset management or marketing yeah good question um I definitely wasn't passionate about asset management. I, I did economics at, at university and spent a long time trying to get a, a job. I tried to get on all those grad programs, but was, I'm very dyslexic, so I couldn't pass any of those tests that you have to do yeah, to right. get into any of the big companies. So I and why did you ac- do economics, by the way? Um, I loved numbers. Right. Yeah, I liked maths and very bad with words and just sort of like enjoyed that um and business as well i always um what you know wanted to do business and thought it was an interesting area um and then was actually very passionate about um the like economic development side of economics kind of early on from from school so did quite a lot of work in in that area um and yeah so sort of landed in asset management and um very quickly there I, i got the opportunity to sit sort of on the table with businesses where you know they were sort of we were reporting back to them and Mm, vice versa um and i knew very quickly where i was like oh i want to be on the other side of the table i want to be the person that's having done the business and be like oh this is how we did this quarter or like these are the things that's happening and it's what we're going to do so um 
I, I quite quickly learned that I wanted to like do do stuff um, versus the sort of like analyze and um, invest and that side. Um, and I think I actually went via Escape the City, which um, at that point in time and they had a grad scheme at MS that was on there and it was what is escape the city escape the city is um it's i i'm not sure what they're doing now but back then they um it was a job site that if you wanted to um like leave a corporate job and right. go into something creative or you wanted to like do something start they have lots of startup jobs so um it was you sort of can get out of escape the like yeah. big corporate jobs yeah. and get into something yeah. that's like startup -y. so that's so funny when you think business. about how many people are like gagging to get like corporate jobs at big yeah. banks and yeah. big firms and then on the other side it's like the whole business yeah around, actually getting out of that job they're running towards the prison <laughs> and they're yeah. like oh get out yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so you uh, found something in marketing in that in that yeah, area. Yeah, and then I rotated around different departments. It when I was at MS, it was an e-com grad scheme. Right. Um and then ended up in digital marketing. So I think the yeah, and I did I loved the um there were parts of digital marketing that I definitely was uh, passionate about and really loved and lots of those are what the parts of the business that I also love, which is the kind of the data side and like look, understanding kind of how to optimize things and mm. like trends and then also the customer side of um like understanding what customers want and how to communicate with them and all of that sort of um uh, side i find very um like interesting and exciting yeah. i love to be able to tweak the data yeah now that you're an entrepreneur what has been the shift in terms of your passion towards marketing compared to your passion towards actually running a business has one overtaken the other yeah, I definitely don't think about the marketing side as much anymore. Right. I love it when I'm doing it. And, yeah. you know, my my there's like certain parts of the business business that my team will sort of joke about. If I'm like not involved in it, I get upset. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> not upset, but I'm not, you know. Um, so so I love to like be involved or, yeah, kind of contribute more to, to some of the marketing areas and um, sort of like retain a bit more kind of oversight on on some of on some of those. But um, definitely my like passion has evolved into different like different areas of the business as as things have got more like I really um love the like the cultural and the team building side and um the that that sort of like how to build high functioning and healthy teams that um you know are are happy at, at work and and that that part I love now and have loved that for the last kind of couple of years and that's like probably the thing that I end up thinking about um a lot and but still the still the customer side uh as well and how have you cultivated that culture internally um how have we cultivated the culture we so we we, we did do a the kind of define a set of like values as a as a team when we were about 10 people or or so um and then sort of said like who do we want to be and how do we want to behave and what's important to us um and i think probably through through hiring and through um sort of feedback loops have been quite focused on um on the way that people work together and um we definitely have a culture of one being very focused on like giving a good experience for for the customer, but also like team teamwork and like collaborating. So it's 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 very non competitive within the within the team. It's sort of like we're competing with you know people outside, but like we're like a unit. And mm. um and yeah, I think we've um also done lots of things to like reward and promote and kind of hire and interview like all of the things that have been important. In, in the value sets and in the ways that we work, we've sort of put those into lots of different parts of the process. Yeah. Um, and then we have like funny things like we have a sort of values hustle channel on Slack where whenever anyone does something or sees someone else doing something in the business, it's like aligned with a, okay. a, a company value, then they call it out and, you know, people clap. And yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. that sort of um, like constant reminder of uh, like the way that we kind of agree and want to, to work and be. I'm with you. Yeah. Nice. Interesting. No, go ahead. Um, so going back to the very beginning when you were talking about quitting your job and obviously how initially people were like, we're not going to invest if you're not mm. full time. What advice would you give to someone who might have an idea, but they're really, they're not ready to quit their job. But then how do you know when is the right point? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, it's a good question. And it did, I think I did 
16 months of working on the business on the side before quitting my job. So definitely my first piece of advice would be that you can do quite a lot without quitting your job. And I think that probably is a good a good way to go. Pro- that was quite long, maybe too long, because um, I was absolutely exhausted by um, by that, that by that time. Wow. <laughs> doing like a year and a half of sort of evenings and weekends on mm. a full-time job. But, um, but actually n- now you can test things pretty pretty quickly and do quite a bit I think um or on the, on the side um and then similarly if you've got conviction and you know you've got a bit of runway to to live for a few months and then uh also there's big case to be made to say just like go for it I think there's so much time that um you can sort of talk about things and think about things and um it's always just like taking that first step um and once you do that uh then everything sort of flows flows from there mm. so uh, i think there's this big um like barrier people feel like this like this huge thing to um like start a business or mm. people are often like oh i you know just wouldn't know where to start but actually just starting like somewhere anywhere it doesn't really matter where you start i'm sure like most entrepreneurs or there'll be hundreds of people who have started in totally different ways and yeah. um have different ways of, of doing it yeah. and actually the 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 key thing is to just start somewhere and go from there no, hundred percent. I mean, that's what everyone said that we've that we've interviewed so far is just start. It's so easy to sit down and procrastinate and talk about ideas, and you could have an amazing, amazing business idea. But if you don't just start and do it and make mistakes and learn and go through it, then you're never really going to get there in the end, are you? Right? Yeah, and tell people. I think that's also like the the fallacy that uh, if you've got a good idea and you tell someone, someone else is going to. Okay. Do it. Yeah, I see. What you're, um, yeah. Okay. But so much of um, I think you know, so much of building a business is just all in execution. Like ideas are. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's. I remember a tiny part. Yeah, I remember when I worked at a startup years ago, and I remember there was a, there was a running joke at the com- throughout at the company, and then also in kind of other companies we knew where it's like uh, about NDAs, where it's like if and the joke was like if someone says to you like I can tell you, but you've got to sign an NDA, that's how they that's how you know they don't have shit. Yeah. <laughs> they, have, they don't have a good idea at all. This is true. If like yeah, yeah. anyone's like anyone who's ever had a good idea has been like, what do you think about this? And they'll try and ask. Yeah, yeah. Anyone's like, oh, I don't know, man, it's pretty. This could be the next Facebook. Yeah, it's not. Uh, <laughs> it's sign not. it. Yeah. yeah, it's not. Yeah. What do you what do you think about like I think passion is an interesting topic because I've always been like quite passion driven with everything that I've done like I'm a comedian and obviously we do podcasts and everything I but I have friends and I have one friend in particular I'm thinking of who he's he's always said he's never been passionate about anything he's a hard worker and he's a dedicated guy but he's never been like I really would love to explore that or do that and I've always been like it's in there you just have to look harder and try stuff which I do believe but uh, I'm kind of playing devil's advocate from his point of view what do you think if someone just isn't passionate? Do you think some people just aren't passionate? Because that's his argument. Oh, that's a good question. Um, Throwing out bangers today. Mm. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I guess the que- is, is passion a sort of emotion, or is it a is it a um, you know something that you that you have or don't have? I think. Um, I think I think there's definitely a range of. I guess in my experience of working with people and meeting people and seeing lots of entrepreneurs I think um you know some people definitely just are more passionate than other people in Mm. like a you know on a range on a scale but I I probably would hold the belief that everyone has passion and maybe hasn't found it yet and I think that's you know it's a totally different topic I it from an expert (laughs) but you know if you look at um I think you know if you look at the way that like really young kids operate or mm. you know like live they they sort of passionate about things so easily right you can yeah they'll find yeah, yeah, toys yeah. or games yeah. or things and actually i think that you know as we go through sort of education and work and we sort of start getting like focused on you know you've got to do this or you need to like work like this or do this exam and it, it, passion starts to get removed or taken away if you're not yeah. um able to focus on the things that you sort of naturally as a as a child would so i think there's there's some really interesting uh for your friend things for yeah. to look at like how do you kind of get back to that sort of childlike state of i completely just agree doing the thing that comes to you completely agree just so, doing stuff you enjoy so glad you said mm. that and then trying to monetize that yeah he's gonna be listening to this now isn't <laughs> yeah and, he will yeah i'm gonna get an email there yeah exactly <laughs> yeah you've yeah. changed my life becky great thank you or actually i've tried and i don't have a yeah, yeah. Exactly. No, you're, you're wrong, wrong. Exactly. yeah yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, but no, I think uh, I think you're right. I think it is just about 
it's about trying stuff, right? I mean, there's something that Gary Vee always, always talks about of just try as many things as, as you can, especially at a young age. And then whatever you actually really enjoy, try and go in and monetize it further down the line and, and do it full time. Especially in your 20s, man. That's what your 20s, that's yeah, what your 20s exactly. is for, Make man. You gotta try stuff, yeah, try and fail. Stuff. That's why I was asking you, when you started Venue Scanner, did you really have a passion for it? Because I can't imagine that when you first started, you left M&S thinking, you know, I want to run a, you know, a kind of marketplace for, for venues. It's kind of, it's a, it's a niche uh it's a niche area so yeah. um yeah it's just interesting hearing how people actually stumble on it to be honest yeah yeah you mentioned obviously that you started um with with it was self-funded obviously you had savings benji your co-founder had savings too what was your kind of view um at that age because a lot of people there's i think it's quite a split between sort of your 20s is for spending and enjoying your time and enjoying your stuff and then also you know, your 20s is to save and get ready for something in the future what was your kind of attitude towards that I mean, I think if I had a good attitude towards savings, I probably wouldn't be an entrepreneur. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The business is the savings. Um, no, I think, uh, yeah, I mean, ultimately with the, I think you, I, I, it really depends in a, what you're saving for, I guess, or, you know, what, what your, um, what people's kind of focus is, but definitely when you're, doing a bit starting a business you like getting paid like nothing for a pretty long amount of time I mean mm. even you know the salary that that I was getting was I think a third of the salary that I was on even like two three four years in um and when we have funded and making money and everything so, so you're definitely um I, I don't have never personally put that much value on the savings side and I guess in my 20s was very much like oh this is a big bet like hopefully it works out yeah. and um you know hopefully it, it comes off in in the end and if not then um I'm sure there'll be uh find another ways to make money mm. <laughs> but I think uh yeah that that kind of risk my I guess my risk tolerance there is sort of relatively um relatively high uh but um yeah probably at, at some point when you're when you're older it, flips mm. right i was speaking to a friend of mine the other day she's a she's a female entrepreneur and uh, and she's also got a podcast uh female founders weekly where she basically interviews female founders of, of startups uh, and she's really interested in the idea of kind of women in business and the, and the impact that has um what was it like for you was there any sort of did you notice any difference being a woman ceo or a woman entrepreneur in business or was it more of a case of the product speaks for itself and, and the business is the business yeah i didn't um i didn't notice loads of difference i mean there's lots of um oh i mean our whole team is has always been sort of 50 50 um and in kind of gender diversity i think one one thing i on the on the positive side is actually i think you get a lot of opportunities um kind of being a female entrepreneur sure. or women in business you know if i guess if you're a minority in in general you'll often get um like kind of opportunities to yeah, I guess speak at events mm. or um, go to things, do things. So I always um, thought that that was great, and I was quite lucky early on to um, go into a few kind of founder networks that have been sort of instrumental in learning from and meeting other people, and so um, have been quite lucky to meet um, other female entrepreneurs as well, and uh, and women in business. And I think you know there is there's lots of uh, controversial like topics and and debates uh, around it, but. Um, ultimately i guess the 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 balance of both like men and women working together on quite an equal level i've always seen like huge benefits in any times mm. in my kind of career and mm. you know in in venue scanner and being able to do that so uh, and was that 50 50 gender diversity at venue scanner was that a conscious choice or did it kind of just come out that way not really it's just happened kind of quite organically, um, organically and yeah say it's, it's our leadership team the same as 50 50 and um yeah it's just kind of i guess sort of maybe having sort of a male and female co-founder has sort of meant that mm. that 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 it evolved in in the early times like that but um mm. yeah as as go go i was just going to say going back to the the funding side um obviously you had a slightly unique situation in that you had relationships in the um, asset management industry before going into it but what would be your advice to somebody who was actually wanting to get funding for an idea um, that didn't have those connections yeah so i mean that was it was sort of um we only did a little bit of um angel angel funding there so that wasn't 
I wouldn't say that was kind of the the core to the to the funding journey, but the um, I mean, really, the way that we raised m- money through actually most of the journey, but definitely at the beginning, was just like relentlessly reaching out <laughs> out okay. to people. Yeah. Um. So like one of my investors, um, jokes that over three years I sent him fifteen emails, um, okay. until we finally went for breakfast, and then he invested and has been one of like the most brilliant investors for the last kind of two two three years yeah. um, was that 15 emails by the way of him not replying correct wow okay. <laughs> love that <laughs> um and yeah so i've and uh, the advice i would give or i i guess what i did was um just just message like mm. as many people as you can as much as you can like, i would just sit on linkedin like late at night just going through anyone that had the investor in their okay. in mm. their in their name and their titles and see people um i've invested in in one other startup uh, business a small amount and so i see people do that um to me now yeah. some yeah. so people have searched investor um well, just by the way just on that what do you think is the line because i think a lot of people worry like well i don't want to become someone where they blacklist me because they they're like oh this is the guy that emails everyone as opposed to this guy's persistent and i think that's a really fine line how do you think what do you think about that um I think I don't know if um, I mean there will always be people that will ignore ignore you and there's always going to be people that are blacklist but ultimately investments like a numbers game right yeah. e- even when you're pitching the VCs you've got to pitch a hundred to you know get five meetings or um, you know and that's just the way it's just a funnel like yeah um, so yeah I think um, and also uh, there's probably a line between sort of being polite and being um, you know, so if you're politely emailing, then I don't think anyone can do too. Listen, much. mate, this is my twelfth yeah. email. All right, yeah. <laughs> get on it. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, yeah, sort of just just going for it. I mean, one of the the things about three years ago, I emailed the one of the co-founders of Booking.com on LinkedIn and just sort of did like a cold LinkedIn message and was like, oh, you know, I'm just such a huge fan of Booking.com. We're trying to do something similar in in the venue space, and we'd absolutely love to. Um, you know, to to meet you for coffee or you know pick your brains, or whatever. And uh, he replied back to me and he said, uh, "Well, since I'm based in Amsterdam, if you're ever here, then uh, feel free to to drop in for coffee." So I just booked a flight the next day. And yep. said, yeah, I was going to say, I, I hope was, she yeah, says she booked a flight. Yeah, I know, I didn't want to test it. <laughs> That's no, so great. Yeah, and he, he I'm said, here. I'm free yeah. for coffee. I said, oh, I'm free on Tuesday. I think this was uh, the sort of Friday or something. He said, yeah, it's Tuesday at two is good. And I just got on a flight like five in the morning, got oh, wow. to Amsterdam, okay. went Amazing. for coffee and came back. And came back. Um, and it was a brilliant few hours. So he didn't become an investor, but um, but I got to learn it's a valuable a huge amount of sure yeah. sure yeah, yeah. okay <laughs> um just uh just before we wrap up uh, it's been such an amazing interview um there's there's one question we ask all of our guests right which is basically obviously this is about sort of practicality and, and it's about sort of actionable things rather than sort of vague generalized sort of you know work hard believe in yourself that kind of thing so we always ask our guests if there was one thing that you would say to someone who's maybe already started a business or is thinking about starting one one practical piece of advice you could give could be to do with marketing hiring budgeting anything anything practical if you could give one piece of advice what would that be so a very practical very marketing-y piece of advice would be take 100 pounds spend it on google adwords or a channel to just like test if someone wants to buy the thing that you're selling you know blank page on the other side take 15 minutes to set up the the ad or the landing page and um and just see if uh yeah, just see if um, see if people click on it and see if people want to do it. Um, I think it does a few different things. One, it tests the t- tests the the concept, but also it like gives you that first bit of fire of actually making something happen. Mm. And like those tools are pretty easy to to set up and just kind of get going off. So I think once yeah, you yeah. get something to life, then it'll amazing that's a very good piece that's of advice. so that's so pounds. yeah that's a very good piece of advice <laughs> it's so sharp and so clear i yeah, love exactly. it i love it uh honestly rebecca thank you so much for being yeah, it's here it's been great um just before just before you go uh you know plug away anything where can people find you uh um uh, yeah linkedin um venuescanner.com um on the on uh on all the social channels um so yeah amazing Rebecca Kelly, thank you so much for being here. What an amazing thank conversation. Thank you for having me. Guys, uh, awesome interview. Uh, if you've enjoyed, make sure to subscribe, turn on post notifications so you never miss another interview. We've got lots of amazing guests coming up. And make sure to rate five stars on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And we will see you in the next one. Thanks for being here. Thank you. Thanks.